Sir Alper and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Fangraphs contributor and philosophy PhD candidate Matt Clausen. In what follows, the listener will be treated to Clausen discussing at length epistemology, the ideal ballpark experience, and his beloved, beloved Kansas City Royals. The listener will also be treated occasionally to Matt Clausen breathing heavily. Is it because he finds the conversation arousing or because he's just bought a not particularly excellent headset? You decide, listener, and you'll have time to decide because what follows is an hour plus with Matt Clausen on Fangraphs Audio right now. I don't need you to know everything. No, I don't need you. To, it's not. I, I don't need I you know. to research it. I mean, if you're gonna know about it, yeah, I assume no, you no, need no, to know no, it no, at no, some no. point. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm more worried about the breathing. Oh, yeah. There's not even any. Uh, are you? You're, you're getting better. Uh, how do we know? Yeah. What, how do we know? How do we know what? We, what? How do we know what I don't, we know? I don't know. You don't know that? Because we know it. We know what we know. I, I'm not sure what the what that question is. Of course, we know what we know. I, I don't believe it's that simple. Well, it is. Is it? Oh, is that too loud? No, you keep going. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> how do we know what we know? Uh, through contact with the world, through uh, cognition, through inference. Um, uh, I mean, if you get technical about it, then yeah, a problem's going to come up. But if you, uh, but, but if, if, if you just go about knowing things and acting in the world, it turns out we don't really have any problems knowing things. We only have problems when we start thinking about it. Right. Or I would assume that trying to articulate the experience of knowing, right? The sensation of knowing. Well, I mean, it's, well, see, I mean, it depends on how technical you want to get. You start using words in the, uh, I don't mean you in particular, Carson, but I think philosophers, we start using these words that we, we easily use in everyday contexts, like knowing or sensation. Uh, and then we transform, then we put them into sort of a technical, uh, philosophical context. And then all of a sudden we discover we don't really know what they mean. You know, we know very well what they mean when somebody else uses them. You know, you put your hand on the stove, you know what a sensation is of putting your hand on the stove. But what is that sensation? Now, when you sort of isolate it from that uh, everyday worldly context, um, all of a sudden we're not sure what it means, what's taken in isolation. And so the idea is like, especially when, when, when you're writing philosophy, is that you want to use terms that have um, agreed upon meanings. Well, it depends on who you're doing philosophy with. Um, spoken yeah. like a, spoken like a philosopher, Clausen. Well, or a pain in the butt. Yeah. Uh, well, which is pretty much the same thing. Right. Yeah. Draw me a Venn diagram of those right. things. Well, you know, it's a Kierkegaard, or as I was would say, if I really knew anything about him, a Kierkegaard uh, talks about one of his pseudonyms. I think it's uh, Johannes Climacus. Uh, sorry, I think my Chin was just bumping this high-quality Microsoft microphone. Um, Kierkegaard, uh, Kierkegaard, sorry, talks uh, in his pseudonym. Johannes Plamakis says he was a 
man of leisure, you know, sort of sitting about in one cafe trying to figure out what his mission in life was, and he said he realized his mission was to uh, make things difficult, which uh, I think is a pretty good description of uh, the uh, implicit self-conception of many philosophers. Yeah, I know. Where, um, y- you know, the thing is, though, that making things easy is rather difficult. Um, well, yeah, and that's what philosophy is supposed to do, right? I mean, in the sort of naive conception, if you read uh, uh, Plato or whatever, uh, and this is not to say that Plato is naive, but if you read Plato naively, excuse me, I'm just going to make a little adjustment here, um, you would get the idea that the idea is to make things easy by giving you a simple procedure for deciding uh, what virtue is or what the good is. Right. Um, uh, sort of a rational procedure, you sort of deduce things using a formula, is how some philosophers have presented their task. Uh, but as it turns out, that's really difficult. <laughs> and anytime something seems easy, uh, it turns out to have all sorts of other problems with it. There's sort of a, I wish I could remember how, uh, one of, uh, I had someone heard someone say it once. There's sort of a inverse relationship between what you can establish philosophically, between the breadth and usefulness of the claim and its defensibility. Uh, you know, so if you come up with something, it's pretty easy to come up with uh, any sort of big radical claim in philosophy that might simplify. It. I mean, simplify things by sort of reducing it down to procedure, or whatever. Uh, sort of indefensible because there are. Are always, you know, counterexamples or logical problems, uh, or areas that it can't cover. But then, if you whittle it down to something defensible, it turns out to not be particularly interesting. Right. Yeah. So I guess uh, ideally, there's a middle ground there. Uh, well, that's 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 the hope. Um, you know, I I uh, I don't. I tend to think philosophy can do something, but uh, there's always that sort of a temptation between the sort of not the, the not the, the systematic urge, not the desire to come up with a philosophical system with in sort of a classical metaphysical form that would give a theory of everything, as it were, or uh, uh, give us an account of everything in the world, or at least how to do it, but but more of a systematic desire to think, well, yeah, philosophy can make a positive contribution to uh, Solving problems about uh, ethical conflicts or political conflicts or the basis of our political organization or social problems or ideas of uh, what science uh, broadly conceived does or things like that. Uh, but then there's also the temptation, the sort of the, the skeptical temptation or the I was going to be really pretentious, the Pyrrhonist temptation to say that uh, uh, all philosophy really does. Well, you can, you can see this is an anti-philosophical orientation, but or the proper place of philosophy is to remind us of the limits of reason, as it were, and where reason uh, takes a, uh, steers us awry. Uh, not that we reject reason, but that uh, when reason becomes its uh, uh, own end, or the idea that can philosophy can actually give us a grounding for anything, and I think I was expressing that early on in our discussion about how do we know what we know, Sorry, did you just get a bunch of noise? No, I was uh, I was I was thinking how many different ways you were expressing that. 
Um, but yes, right, with regard to how do we know what we know. I, here's the thing, though. Um, my concern as a layperson uh, with regard to philosophy is I don't need any reminders about my limits as a human. Uh, <laughs> I feel quite confident that they, that they, are, um, they are ubiquitous. Uh, every everything is limited. I don't need. Uh, I guess I don't doubt that I'm that I'm limited. I just want to make it through the day without feeling um, a great deal of pain and confusion. Is there anything? Yeah. Is there anything for me? Well, there's that gen that terrible uh, Genesis song from the '80s, "Land of Confusion." Well, I know that song. Although to say it's terrible. Uh, I don't think it's objectively terrible. In fact, I like it quite a bit, especially the video, which features all hilarious puppets and eating. And was it was it the Mike, whatever his name is, from Mike and the Mechanics guy eating his own tongue in a hot dog bun? Oh right, yeah. Well, I didn't understand. So um, you're you're a little bit older than me. I did not necessarily understand all of the references when I was five or six. Yeah. I think I knew. I certainly knew that Reagan was one of the characters, and that certainly one of the uh, the sort of um, puppet type characters was Phil Collins. Yeah, and then the other genocide. Right. Oh, besides Peter Gabriel, you mean? Or Peter Gabriel? Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, uh, never was a big Genesis fan. Uh, I think as you may be able to tell by my earlier comments, Peter Gabriel was the original singer of Genesis. Though I think back in the seventies, he quit to go on and do things and become acclaimed for some reason that everyone thinks he's a genius now. Every once in a while if a pop star goes out and does stuff, you know, all of a sudden he becomes a genius. If he, you know, just doesn't do the generic right. four for the dancer face. Well, I feel like he's had a similar, uh, I mean, very broadly speaking, similar arc, a career arc to, uh, for example, David Byrne. Or, That's exactly who I was thinking of. And yeah. I actually know a philosopher who looks exactly like David Byrne. So, hey, David Chiavada, I think that's your name. He teaches at Ryerson University. Shout out to you. <laughs> definitely you definitely listening yeah. to this podcast. Well, in an effort to alienate everyone. Well, uh, let me go back. Let me say that the, 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 what I call a sort of Pyrrhonist or skeptical philosophy. The skepticism and the reminder of our limits isn't so much directed at everyday people, but actually in its form, say, a Wittgensteinian form, and we don't have to go back into that whole morass, uh, is, is directed more at philosophers than people. Right, okay. Within, <laughs> within inside the community, or... Well, sort of, and I think, uh, yeah, to remind philosophers of their own limits, but also it's a good reminder to necessarily, not necessarily, if you agree with it, it's a good reminder, or if you don't agree with it, it's a terrible one. For people who go to philosophers seeking answers, I think the parentist would say, uh, yeah, good luck. Hmm. There are yeah, there are no answers. We we uh, we're talking about this because you have some expertise in it as a, um, a I believe a currently you're a PhD candidate. Are you currently a PhD candidate? Yeah, until they kick me out, which which will happen, I'm sure. Mm, and are you to the phase where you're ro- you're working on your dissertation yet? Uh, in theory. In theory. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a long story. I don't really like talking. About no, it. I know you don't. Know, but did you have to go through a part where you defended your proposal? That's what I'm working on right now. Oh, that's what you're working on. Okay. <clears throat> you, I should have. I sh- I felt like I, you know, when I started, I thought I'd be done with everything uh, two years ago. So. Yeah. Uh, well, my understanding is that about. your case is not an exception. In fact, it's probably more the rule that it uh, it can get away from you. Yeah, you know, there's lots of stuff going on, and I people don't want to hear about my personal life. 
yeah, you know, I think things are changing uh, a little bit because partly because schools don't have the funding they used to to keep funding the students. They want to be able to fund their students, and so they're trying to get them out faster. But, uh, you know, then there's people like me, but... But you, you also know, have I'm a child. Sure. I can't believe that you're able to do it. Uh, I know that my wife is just now, she has to take her master's exam at the end of the summer. And then she's, she'll move on to, I mean, she'll still be doing coursework, but she'll be sort of in the, in, 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 uh, in a, at an interim phase before she takes her PhD qualifying exams. And, uh, I don't know if it's the same thing for you, if it has been the same thing for you, but, um, she, is uh, perpetually burdened by work. I mean, all day and all night, really. Yeah, it varies depending on uh, how intensive a person you are and uh, what stage you're at and your particular program. Uh, if, if I if I let myself be burdened that that much, I'd probably be done by now. That's. Uh, but yeah, so but some people manage it with kids better. Uh, you know, some, there's things that come up and. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, this is the. I think we've entered the incredibly boring and uncomfortable part. Let of me be this. Let me be the judge of that. Clausen. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about something that you mentioned that you do have a uh, a child, at least one that you claim. Who knows how many more are actually yeah. out there? Right. I was thinking about something yesterday. Um, I went to a, uh, a local park here, um, um, Warner Park, also known as the Duck Pond. Where the Madison, the Madison Mallards of the Northwoods League play. Uh, the Northwoods League is a woodbat college league, not unlike, <laughs> uh, not unlike the Cape Cod League, which of course tends to produce, or tends both to attract and then to produce, um, you know, elite talent among among college players. Uh, it does appear as though the Northwoods League has, um, at this point, become the sort of next best alternative. To the Cape Cod League. So is, is that where college players go so scouts can see him with a wood bat and stuff like that? Yeah, precisely, precisely. Um, and the interesting thing about this, now um, here in Madison, where the Madison Mallards play um, at Warner Park, it's the largest, to the best of my knowledge, it is the largest stadium for a college, um, a college league team, a summer college league team. Um, it's a very nice facility, and it's well attended. The games are well attended and, and really fun. But I was thinking, though, going to a baseball game with a child, have you learned anything about that? Well, you know, uh, my son is not quite three. He'll be three in August, and uh, I would not take him to a baseball game where I had to pay a lot of money mm-hmm. because when I – Anything, or either they don't have like a little field somewhere where I go play with him because he wouldn't watch it, and then I wouldn't get to watch it. We can watch at home. When it, I now, right after he was born, summer Miles was born. I actually uh, a couple months before he was born, my wife got us great tickets uh, for my birthday a little bit later because we knew the Royals were coming to town. This was 2009, so this is the year Zach Greinke was on fire, and we we're going to go see the Royals play at the, the Rogers Center, uh, Blue Jays, and the night. Before two nights before, uh, two days before, I woke up with a really bad stomachache. Uh, long story short, I got an appendectomy. <laughs> so we oh, right, that. that's the ultimate stomachache, really. Yeah, so we did not go see the Royals. Then my son was born a couple months later, but then we went. We went out, and 
<laughs> that's a long way of saying we saw people with little babies. Now, Miles would have been like a month old, so we wouldn't have done that at the game. But, you know, I don't know. It's so loud at, at sort of these at, at games these days. So little baby, yeah, you know, would get scared, I think. You think it's loud even even at a Blue Jays game? Not the crowd. Yeah. Uh, the crowds the crowd sounds a lot louder. Have you ever watched games that are at the Sky? Sorry, the Rogers Center. Uh, they're sort of like this. When, when I think when the domes close, especially, you kind of get this gentle roar in the background. I'm not sure what that is. If it's the the vents or something, or uh, the, the air circulation. But no. But just you know, if there's a home run, the fireworks and the walkout music. Right. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. It's cranked. But now he's old enough. He's mobile enough that he's squirmy. He's not going to sit still for two and a half hours. Right. That's um, not even. I mean, maybe if David Cooper came at bat, no one can deny the charismatic power of David Cooper. <laughs> well, it, it may he be might one be my favorite player in baseball right now, just because he's so ridiculous. What's ridiculous uh, about David Cooper? He might be the least athletic-looking baseball player ever. I mean, not because he's not fat, but because he doesn't even have that humorous dimension. He just looks... Uh, I think uh, Drew Fairservice called him the... Uh, Mayonnaise sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a little soft. Yeah, I mean, athletes have chins. David Cooper doesn't. No. Does it look like I, maybe he he'd be like um, like your account manager? Yeah. At an insurance yeah. company or something. Yeah, he makes. I mean, people talk about Dustin Pedroia not looking that athletic. Dustin Pedroia is Zeus compared to David Cooper. <laughs> Uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, David Cooper. I'm glad you made the big leagues. I'm glad you're, you're getting that paycheck. And no, stuff. right. I mean, yeah. I mean, more more power to him. It, but listen, to, this is the thing, though. I was uh, reflecting on the nature of a game experience, and I don't think I think unless you have seats right behind home plate, really, which gives you a sort of scout's eye view of the game. Um, you know, especially allows you to engage with the pitcher, uh, what he's throwing, you know, what it looks like. I don't understand. I don't necessarily see the benefits of going to a pro game over um, a more intimate, um, say, you know, minor league, uh, minor league game, or um, or like I was just at yesterday with the the summer college game. Those to me are more because they're more affordable. Whether you're with, you know, whether you're with um, kids or not, um, more affordable to get in typically, um, and then also, you know, the food inside will be more affordable. Like I think, you know, beer at this uh, Mallard's game is like three fifty four dollars. Uh, wow. Yeah, right. Which is a considerable improvement over major league. Is that is that a small enough price where you have uh, really embarrassing drunks that you would want to shield your kids from? Like I remember from going to AAA games when I was. Really, oh, really, that's really interesting. Kid. Yeah, I never. I actually didn't think of that. Um, no, maybe that is a, I, well, the only thing I would say is that, that, that perhaps is regional. Uh, I think in general, while Wisconsinites, um, like drinking quite a bit, um, the thing they enjoy drinking most is, is beer. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, they, I'm sure, you know, like any place there, there are definitely those who. In Wisconsin, that seems odd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they like drinking beer, but I think that there's sort of an ethic amongst the populace, um, that would preclude many of them from 
drinking to excess. I think that that is not a popular decision. I mean, certainly amongst college students, that's a thing that happens. But I think amongst adults, it's embarrassing. Um, yeah, the Germans are not have fun. Yeah, or they're just responsible and uh, <laughs> um, and and you know know how to behave themselves. Uh, but there is definitely like yeah, that sort of German legacy of. Um, I mean, again, they love beer, but just not. It doesn't seem to great excess. I, I could be wrong though. I mean, I'm not, you know, I've, I'm not fully installed into uh, Wisconsin culture. And then the Wisconsin culture to which I am installed is Madis- uh, Madisonian, which is different. Oh, right. Ten cent hot dog night. Do they have that at the Mallards games? I don't know if they do that, but I could tell you uh, two things that happen at a Mallards game. One is that before the game, uh, and one opposing batter is designated as the beer batter. And if the beer batter, <laughs> yeah, if the beer batter strikes out, if the beer batter strikes out, then for the next inning, either half inning or inning, uh, beer is uh, beer is half price. That's one thing. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's pretty good. And the beer batter, uh, the beer batter struck out uh, twice yesterday, um, at least the first uh, seven and a half innings. Uh, secondly, um, every time a foul ball. A batted foul ball leaves the field to play and ends up in the stands. Um, whomever, whoever retrieves it can exchange it for a free hot dog. Yeah. Wow, that's a uh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll t- no, go ahead. Yeah, the uh, the uh, PA announcer every time the ball goes into the um, the stands, he ju- he will say very matter of factly, "Wiener." He just says that. <laughs> he just says. Wiener. Yeah, I might have some audio. Maybe I can... Uh... You should get that guy on the podcast. Yeah, I actually think I might. Do you know Do you know him? I don't know him, but I could know him. Do you, that, now, that you're, now that you're a full-time employee of Fangraphs, do you get to go to these games free? Uh, I... Well, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis. The, um, the PR um, guy at... Um, at, with the Mallers is uh, very accommodating. I will say he's very accommodating. I, I will say that much. Uh, and he made. I went to my first game last night, and he made my experience um, very pleasurable. Ten out of ten. Really. Now, so what for you though? What is a sort of uh, what for you has represented an ideal game experience? Because for me, you, the play is there, but it's it, it's almost a means to the end of you know the ultimate. And which is uh, leisure, right? Which well, yeah, because if you want to if you want to see a good baseball game, you'll stay at home and watch it on TV or MLB or on your computer. You'll watch the best baseball in the world, which is, uh, well, other than of course the Kansas City minor league system, uh, best system ever, and uh, uh-huh. in, in in perpetuity, uh, you would watch Major League Baseball. You'd probably just do it at home. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, that is the best. I mean, depending on for the various the game, camera angles right, no, and the commentators. No, no, but, but, but for, for the play, but for the experience, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, no, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, know for, you're but agreeing for, with for me. The, but for the experience, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't, uh, there's not minor league teams around here, really. Uh, there aren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is not. No. There are not anyway. minor league Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're doing all right. You're doing all right. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just go a lot of contractions and maybe people miss it. I, I have to honestly say some the best game experience I can remember is spring training. Uh with fan graphs. Oh yeah. Uh, 
for one thing, I mean, it's a company, of course. But, I mean, honestly, because, you know, people who actually give a crap about what you're talking about, and I don't have to feel like I'm boring people. I, I don't have to regulate this stats talk. But that wasn't just that, though. It was a... Now, I, I wasn't at this last year, but the year before, I don't, it's the, Di- the Diamondbacks had built a pretty new stadium. We saw the D-backs and Rockies play there. Yes. In yes. 2011. And that was nice. It's a beautiful stadium. And it's sort of... Um, um, that is a talking stick, something a talking stick. Um, I will illicitly Google it while <laughs> while I'm talking with you. Um, but th- that is the yes, that is um, the park that I believe, as you mentioned, the Rockies um, and uh, and Diamondbacks share, and and um, it is sort of as if you were to take one of. A sort of newer, you know, modern baseball facility and shrink it down to scale. Um, yeah, that was nice. Now I can't remember. The food was probably pretty expensive, but at least they had a food is a big deal to me. And I know it's too expensive for baseball games, but mm-hmm. uh, but they had a variety of concessions and they were actually good. Yes. Whereas those are the Rogers Center, where there's only a variety if you're down on one of the good levels, and then they're not good, and it's extremely expensive. Right. It, whereas uh-huh. you uh, and you sit with the plebs, I'm assuming. Well, when I sit, you know, when I sit with the plebs. The plebs or plebs? Oh, I'm Private sorry. Uh, yeah. No, I don't Maybe know. Plebe, I don't know. Somebody just asked. Uh, sorry, on Twitter, somebody just asked. This person has. Uh, I do not want to mess up and say if it's Japanese, Chinese, or other characters in their name. Asked us, what is Satan's ring size? The circumference of pure evil. Oh. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, but th- yeah, that was a nice stadium. Uh, Roger- yeah, I don't have to say it with the plebs, but I-, I had some nice tickets courtesy of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Albert, uh, uh, who we've worked with at Fangraphs. Uh, I think he was an intern in the- for the Jays one summer. He got some really good tickets for those of us in the Toronto area. And uh, I bet the concessions, I don't want to... The-, 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 the Rogers Center... I think was uh, what used to be called the Skydome was great, you know, like 30 years ago, but it's a, a bit dated. Yeah, yeah, uh, it got dated but, pretty quickly because I think it was built. I think it was built just before Camden Yards, right? Yeah, um, it was the end of the. It was sort of like the culmination, uh, you know, the the great works of any <laughs> the great works of any genre of art are built at the moment of that genre's passing. <laughs> with the Rogers Center. Right. It's just a big can full of stuff. Yes, I have seen it. I ha- I went to a game at the Rogers Center, which was definitely then called the Sky Dome, in probably 1990 so 1995 or 6, I guess. 1996, oh, maybe. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, and I do recall... Uh, in fact, I caught a foul ball. Yeah, but uh, you didn't get was, a free wiener. Oh, uh, if I did not get a free wiener, no. Um, but I do... Um, one nice thing about it at the time, and I think that maybe the Blue Jays were still drawing uh, decently then, was uh, the roof was open and we could see the CN Tower. Which yeah, is, that is a nice that, that is a nice part of the of the Rogers yeah. Center slash scope. Yeah. No, it, it can be nice, but it's just it's kind of generic. But that, that but those minor league, uh, sorry, the spring training parks, I thought were uh, especially the new one was really nice because it had the amenities of the. Uh, uh, you know, modern or sort of uh, contemporary yeah. big league stadiums, but it had the, I you know, the intimacy of a, a smaller field. Yeah, for me, because I will say, um, so 
I, this is not actually a stadium anymore, but there was a really nice minor league park in Eugene, Oregon. I guess we're the Eugene. Uh, we'll call them the Eugene Emeralds. I think that they were the Eugene Emeralds um, in that. Emeralds uh, or emeralds, like the chef, no, or the, yeah, or the, the gemstone. The former, the Eugene Emeralds. Yeah, uh, it was an affiliate. Uh, was then, and I believe still is an affiliate of the Padres. Uh, they played at a cool old stadium um, that they have since moved away from. I think they play in the Oregon State campus now, or University of Oregon campus, I should say, now. Um, and it was an old wooden stadium, and that was a lot of uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a very intimate experience. I think for me the two uh, the two priorities are intimacy of experience, by which I mean proximity to the field, and additionally um, the the percentage of the stands that are filled with people. I guess, or at least yeah. the impression that one gets that they're filled with people. I've talked with David Appleman, our uh, uh, the founder of Fangraphs before about this, and he says he does not mind a partially filled stadium. He said he actually enjoys it to some degree. Of course, he, you know he goes to Nats games, and that has not, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's something he gets his fill of that, or at least has has done. I think they're they're probably drawing better this year. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my guess is they are. Well, and everyone's getting rich, right? In, I mean that 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 stadium has been a, just a huge boon for the area. Like I, all stadiums. I, I think you're being sarcastic. I, my guess is you're being sarcastic because my guess yeah, check is that, check that sarcasm meet you're on on the Skype. Yeah, you're I will see if it if it's recorded. No, I, well, see because you're calling from Canada, it's a there's a metric system for you. I don't metric I can't convert. Has all sorts of problems. Yeah, I know. What do I do? Add thirty two or something? Subtract thirty two? Yeah. Right. yeah, you divide by three point seven five, multiply by. All right, I'll I'll get that done after the podcast. But he says he likes being in stadiums that are half full. For me, uh, I mean, I could be convinced of the charms of that, you know, and and, um, I don't think I've been to as many live games as I would like um, for the second reason, which I'll get to momentarily. But I do prefer an intimate intimate setting, um, uh, which, of course, the Rogers Center is not particularly capable of providing. Additionally, cost is a major factor. I am a member of uh, the leisured poor, Matt Clausen. <laughs> and so um, in that capacity, I like to know that, um, and just generally as a matter of personal taste, I, I only really enjoy um, I only really enjoy activities that I know can be repeated with some frequency. So if I spend a lot of money on a baseball game, for example, <laughs> it's not fun Thank for me know. because I know it won't be part of my life. Like, I don't want to just, you know, go on like a, a like somewhere for a long weekend or something because the sense that I can't have that experience frequently is bothersome yeah. to me. Whereas, so the thing that, for example, I, I think that works about the Mallards is you could go there all the time, you could feel comfortable in it, and you can know that it's a repeatable activity, even for someone who's you know who makes the sort of money that a baseball blogger does. Yeah. 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 The, or whatever you are, I don't even know. Stay at home, Dad. Well, that's not that's pretty nice, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm kept man. Um, but but the uh, well, yeah, that is. But the, the the repeatability does that mean you don't like going on vacation? I don't care for vacations that much. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would prefer. I would prefer. I've utilized. I've um, utilized the staycation before. Are you familiar with that term? 
uh, where you just go for a really long time and leech off people? No, well, I enjoy that too, but the, alternatively, no, the staycation is when, um, um, like for example, when my wife was off, off for spring break, we, we stayed in Madison, but we, we retreated it as though it were, uh, we were somewhere else, if that makes sense. We, you know, cause Oh, no, yeah, yeah. You just ate out a lot and, uh, well, sure, yeah. And living in a place you don't always, especially if you have a busy schedule, you don't always get to enjoy it. You don't get to take yeah. advantages of the charms of your own city. So we uh, we did that to some degree. I mean, I uh, still think we probably fell, fell short of our ultimate leisure goal. We were not sufficiently <laughs> leisured, uh, but um, close to that. You didn't, work, you didn't work hard enough at it? Yeah, right. We need to put in a little bit. But I think you're right about those those spring trading stadiums, especially the newer ones in the Phoenix yeah. area where – you do have a number of the, you do have those advantages. Um, some of the stadiums we went to, I think, uh, uh, well, and I should mention that uh, where the Rockies and and uh, Diamondbacks played, that is called um, Salt River Fields. Salt River Fields. At Salt about. River Fields. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, out in Peoria, for example, where the Mariners play, uh, is a, is a little bit the stadium's a little bit more functional, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, not it's not bad, but it's uh, this is not much wind. Um, where the Indians and Reds play, I think is actually also a nice. Um, it's kind of a nice combination of what we're talking about. Uh, maybe yeah, wear, wear your wear your sunscreen. Right. Yeah, and of course uh, that's yeah, probably yeah. true. I, I don't know if there's any stadium um, where you're fully covered. Although, again, Talking no. Stick, uh, or I should say, Salt Fields at Talking Stick was pretty nice for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, that's it. Now, where'd you go as a kid? Was there live baseball and where'd you go? Uh, Kansas. A little bit. Kansas. No, we didn't. Uh, my parents weren't big baseball fans or sports fans. My brother and I were. But you know, football was our main thing growing up in Oklahoma. We had we had what was back in the Oklahoma City Eighty Niners. Uh, oh wow! When, what which, league were they in then? Red Hawk. They're uh, uh, PCL. Oh, okay. So this is this is baseball, right? And they're now. Yeah. I think they might have been. The Redhawks, right? They're they're, they're Texas Triple uh, A team. Actually, Astros now, I believe. I believe really they, they switched it. I believe they switched. Yeah, one for one. I think Red Rock, uh, Round Rock, is now the Texas Rangers. Oh, affiliate. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Triple A team. Uh, yeah, I now when we were really little, it was actually the Phillies. Okay. Triple uh, A team, which just seems weird, but uh, I didn't know they switched that. That's uh, embarrassing, kind of. But not really. No, I don't think um, you expected to know that. It, but did they switch it because the Astros switched leagues or something? Or no, this is a couple years ago, or maybe last year was the first year. Um, because I do oh. remember even two or three years ago, um, I remember seeing in Portland, Oregon, uh, when the Portland Sea Dogs were still a, no, not the Portland Sea Dogs, the uh, oh, were the Portland Beavers when the Portland Beavers of the PCL were still the AAA affiliate. Of the San Diego Padres, um, the Oklahoma City, I think still the Red Hawks. I think they were the Red Hawks. It can't be. They've been the Red Hawks for a while now. Yeah, they um, um, they had Alexia Gondo. Alexia Gondo came in. And yeah. I also remember seeing yeah. Nelson Cruz. Uh, Nelson Cruz yeah. before he was called up. Yeah, I remember Nelson Cruz uh, being a longtime guy. Uh, it's more fantasy disasters where I. Here you'll hear, hear a story of Matt's fantasy disasters because these are these are fun. Yeah, let's this do is that. a few. This is a number of years ago. I had Justin Verlander when he was a rookie, and yeah, he was, uh, and, he a, and he was decent. He, yeah, he had a good year, but yeah. everyone was saying he's probably gonna you know 
there's a high collapse rate or something. You know, this is before I was really into sabermetrics, so I could look at the stuff myself. But uh, that's what people were saying. But so I traded him for a for this hitter that everyone thought was really good because he's going to be in Texas. You know, that park is kid Nelson Cruz. Yeah. And he was horrible. This is before got, his kind of. Uh... Right, right. This is the, so he got sent down. Remember, he was a throw-in. He went through, then he passed through waivers. Every team in the league had a shot at him. Yeah. And so I cut him. Yeah. Right. So I, in the meantime, Verlander was awesome again. <laughs> right. And I and I had Cruz and he was terrible. Then the next year he got called up at some point and it was great. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's almost as if. Uh, uh, young players aren't sure things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that was just another story of uh, my uh, fantasy and prospecting wizardry. Right. Work. Although I don't, a lot of, like I said, every team in baseball. I mean, the, Texas. He was a throw-in on that tr- when, when right when Texas traded car. Wait, on the Carlos Lee trade. To and Milwaukee then, was it involved with Milwaukee? Yeah, Milwaukee sent Lee to Texas, and they sent it's not. It was sometime around there, or was it something with Matt Stairs or something? I don't know. And then uh, Cruz came from Cruz came from Milwaukee, Texas. And then after the season, he, they put him on waivers. And uh, but no one, yeah. Um, what were you saying? Yeah, no one. Uh, but of course, yeah. At that point, uh, no one claimed him. But he, then he became no good. <laughs> No, argu- I mean, seriously, arguably, I mean, uh, up until this season, I mean, if you looked at it on a per-plate appearance basis, he's been about just about as valuable as, as Hamilton. Cause that's because Hamilton alternates uh, holy crap level, I'm awesome seasons with kind of meh, hurt, uh, and not very, you know, not bad seasons, by, uh, but by his standards, you know, just sort of. Uh, but, you know, Cruz was, is, is a really good player. He is. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with him. He's a guy here. There's a guy who kind of got. I mean, I think he got a late start as a baseball player too, relative to other people, didn't he? But that now he's kind of shafted. I mean, he's still in arbitration and he's in his early thirties. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, who, if, I guess he's you, partly to blame for that, or not necessarily blame, but part of that is his doing because he wasn't good. He wasn't good yet. Yeah. I mean, so you're going to stay in the minors until that happens. There are a lot of players. Who don't even make it that far, you know? Well, 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 right. But people have talked about that. The t- there should be. I mean, this won't happen because the the owner certainly don't want it to happen, and the player union doesn't care about minor leaguers um, because they're not part of the union. Right. That uh, uh, team should be able to just hang on to these guys inde- so you know indefinitely, as long as they can. So you, I mean, having to guys like Carlos Ruiz, and in a different way. Uh, I mean, look, Ryan Rayburn is. A, Good player or anything, he's useful. Here's a kid who, you know, sci- uh, guy. Well, he's not a kid anymore, but you know, who, who maybe maybe reached his first year of arbitration when he was 30, and so he signed a, you know, two-year deal for three million dollars, whatever. But you know, if he'd, uh, but they they were to hang on to him forever. So anyway, that's a, that's a, that's another issue. But yeah, I mean, obviously they would come up if they were. Uh, uh, it happened to Ryan, Ryan Howard's another good case of that, actually. A guy who was in the minors for a really long time. Yeah, and pre- maybe like a half, well, maybe longer than that, a half season or season too long. Because Tommy, uh, yeah, Tommy was with the Phillies at that time. Yeah, I think Howard's gonna probably come out of it okay. I think he'll get by. 
he's doing well financially. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's any concern um, with regard to him and how far that's going. Hey, I wanted to ask you. Um, what are your interests? We were sort of talking about how to enjoy the game, and uh, that's a question that I'm per- perpetually interested in. Um, I noticed that one of the ways, the, one of the things you like to write pretty frequently, is these sort of postmortems on players. Y- yours now the sort of uh, go-to guy on the Fangraph staff when a player retires, a notable player usually. Like I know just in the last couple months you've written um, something like, generally it'll take the form of a great moments post where you, yeah. I think you've done it for Ivan Rodriguez. Um, i trying to think who else you've done it for so far this season. At least... Uh, Mag- least Maglio. Right, Maglio or Adonia, sure. Uh, my favorite one I ever did was uh, last year for Greg Zahn. Just because he was personally interesting to you, or I think Greg Zahn's interesting. Well, for one thing, it was received really well. People loved it because there are all these people who remember him as a minor league player for the Royals, and I think people like Greg Zahn. And that was before he just became another generic rah rah old school baseball commentator. <laughs> uh, Is he precisely that? Who does he? For whom does he comment? Commentate. He's now? he's a, he he works for uh, Rogers. Uh, Roger Sports. Yes, right. Yeah, he he does like studio stuff for them, and, and occasionally yeah. color yeah. on the radio. Yeah, I, I don't know if he does. I don't listen to the radio uh, feeds, so I don't know. He, it's it's in studio stuff with Jamie Campbell, and uh, but yeah, he's a uh, he wears hilarious suits, uh, not on purpose, but uh, he has this one pinstripe one he whips out for the playoffs, pink pinstripes. Uh, I think Bruce Arthur called him the. The Tennessee funeral parlor, his Tennessee funeral parlor suit. But anyway, yeah, Greg's on. But yeah, you know, honestly, I do it because there's something to write about. And sometimes, I mean, I know people find it hard to believe. Early in the season is a bad time, for me at least, to be uh, a saber friendly blogger. Yeah. Because you're dealing with small samples, and there's only so many times I can. I mean, there's only I can mock myself all I want, but it's only so many times I can say, "Yeah, it's a small sample, but without feeling like a tool." Yeah. What, what, uh, what about a small sample, but? <laughs> what is that? Well, that's what you end up writing for the yeah. first month of the season. Oh, right. Know? Okay. You're not actually talking about human anatomy. And then, and then I can't always, you know, if it's, you know, I can't always catch some strategic blunder or non-blunder or controversial thing right when it happens. And so, for me, it was kind of it just started as because, hey, here's something that happened. And instead of trying to summarize a player's career that people actually know could do better, or just rattling off his player page, um, I found you know WPA you know it's controversial in some circles, but uh, it's a pretty good I think a pretty good summary of sort of a qu- way to quantify the narrative as it were sure. in game. And he came up with some pretty funny stuff. Uh, you know the Maglio one was cool because he actually had big some of his. According to WPA, at least his sort of biggest in-game hits were in big playoff hits that are very memorable, and that was fun. But they aren't always uh, like uh, for uh, but for Craig Zahn, you know, just looking at his page. I mean, he had hits where uh, he he was at, he was on the ninety nine ninety seven Marlins. You know, it's like Blazy uh, yeah. was involved in along with a Bobby Bonilla and <laughs> stuff like that. I don't know. To me, that was uh, really funny. Uh, right, so you, you have a you sort know, of, um, it's a way. It's a way of taking you back. Yeah, but around concrete incidents, around concrete plays, 
And then people sometimes remember those plays. You know, it's not always, uh, you know, like Maglio, uh, he probably, I mean, his biggest hit ever, I, I can't even remember my own post now, was, uh, in the 2006 playoffs, um, where he, he had the hit, he had a home run that put the Royals in the World Series. Uh, sorry, the, the uh, Tigers in the World Series. <laughs> Shockingly, he put the Marlins, he put an entirely different team. In the World Series, no, yeah, but it's sort of, but it's sort of, but sort of a random free association way of just reminding me. He's like uh, looking at like my uh, post on uh, Pudge. Uh, this incident uh, in 2007, uh, it was with the Tigers, where uh, it was a duel between uh, like Brandon Duckworth was pitching for the Royals, which is pretty funny in itself, and it was Brandon Duckworth versus Jeremy Bonderman. So they, I mean, a few years ago. I mean, I can imagine saying, uh, I mean, 2007 wasn't even all that long. I guess it was five years ago, but, uh, does, hey, remember Jeremy Bonderman? That's a blast from the past. <laughs> he is. Hey, Bonderman was guy. good. Bonderman was good for a while, yeah? I mean, well, he... yep, for, tw- for two seasons, we talked about him a lot. Yeah. Because it seemed like he was going to be good. And there's the money ball connection there, too. But, uh, uh, and like Mark Tian and David Risky are in the game, stuff like that, or, uh, uh, Yes, he's, these are fun posts. I mean, partly he's something to post about, but but you find really, really hilarious stuff like Zahn and the '97 Marlins or uh, stuff like that. Right, and I guess it gives you a sort of pretense upon which to to make those searches. Like you're not just going to be like, oh, I mean, you could, I guess, in a vacuum, write a post about or or ask aloud to yourself. I'd have to hold my breath for a really long time, but yeah. <laughs> but just to ask who. You know who's on the 1997 Marlins, but if you have no reason, whereas this gives you sort of uh, this gives you an entree into that. Yeah, the plays that are involved, or who uh, who uh, who who committed the error, you know, that let these three guys score. That happens a lot of times on big WPA plays. Not a lot of times, but fairly often. I mean, obviously, a guy will have a single, and then you know the center fielder will uh, screw the play up, and two more guys will score. That was a funny thing in one of my recent ones. I remember. I can't remember who scored. It was somebody really slow. I thought it was pretty funny. Scored from first on a single or a double because of an error. But anytime some fat guy scores from second or first uh, is pretty awesome, if you ask me. Well, that's kind of what we're doing is asking you, Clausen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was interested about that. This sort of uh, – I, I guess that's – that, and that and that's your answer is that it, it uh, gives you a reason to sort of focus your attention on this player and you, you see the way – in which he's been involved in history, and you know, yeah, you come up with names like Bobby Bonilla, just names that you'd have no really other reason to think of. Well, Bobby Bonilla, there's a lot of reason to think of him, but just the fact that somehow a Zahn Bonilla connection <laughs> was right to me. That was good too, because remember, he had these huge, you know, Zahn actually had some big home runs. What's really funny is you get some of these players, their biggest hits were like singles, but because of the particular run environment, or because it drove in two runs or whatever, and uh, uh, they were at home or something like that. Uh, it got, it got a big WPA. But these aren't plays you would normally just think of. I mean, yeah, obviously, a Tiger Sands gonna probably remember Maglio's home run of the 2006 series. But, but you know, it actually a lot of Jays fans remember, uh, Zahn having, uh, actually, I can't remember now, there's this, cause he played both the Rays and the Blue Jays. He had a big home run against, uh, one of those teams and, uh, yeah, it's a fun way of, you know, without having to sort of search the archives to let the uh, numbers do the work for you when you build a narrative around it, which is, of course, <laughs> the uh, sort of unfair but funny stereotype of how uh, we talk about 
traditional sports writing. But it's a, but there is, a, of course, a narrative in one sense of, the, of these game events. But it's a way of uh, using that to spur our memories that isn't that in, a, in a fun sort of non-analytical way. So, what's the largest uh, the largest possible WPA? Then is is it, is that a Grand Slam for a team with uh, two outs that's down by three runs? In an extra uh, I don't know actually. I should be able to, probably. It also depends because it depends on the run environment. Uh, well, if a run environment being equal, I would assume I would assume that's what it would be. Yeah. Um, of course, WPA also changes depending on the seasonal run environment in the park. And of course, you know, I mean, there's limitations to WPA because it doesn't take into account the uh, relative strength of. Teams and players. Right, you could uh, do that, I mean, right? You could, you could. You could. It'd the, be really difficult. You'd have yeah. to do, but you'd have to do. You'd have to have ongoing projections, updated projections for every possible event that might happen for both the pitcher and the hitter. Uh, and you'd have to do it for pitcher versus hitter. I well, I guess you wouldn't have to. Um, but if you really wanted to go that far, you probably want to take the other step and do some sort of odds ratio thing. So uh, you get, uh, say. Uh, I can't remember his first name, DeVries, the guy who started last night from Minnesota. In the, oh, Cole uh, DeVries, yeah. The the Cole DeVries-Will Smith uh, duel. Um, I saw that, yes. That was the thing. <laughs> Although it was not the most depressing pitching duel so far this year. I believe the least uh, the least whelming. <laughs> um, <laughs> the least whelming pitching uh, matchup so far this season has been uh, Randy Wolf versus Kevin Correa. I think that's it. <laughs> Just in tandem with the teams and where they are in the standings at the time. Um, yeah, I, yeah. You don't think you don't think uh, last night you don't think I think DeVries Smith might be right there with it. But do you think uh, they have the advantage at least of being young, a little yeah, young and a little bit unknown? And they both yeah. kind of throw strikes. I'm thinking. I'm thinking they both throw strikes. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, sort of. I, I don't. What uh, happened in that game? Uh, it was, I, I was kind of distracted by this, this draft thing. I don't even know why they have that. Just interrupts baseball. Um. You're the one who was watching it. No one made you, I assume. No. It was your professional duty. It was a, it was a chance, it was a chance to watch it. I, I got it on MLB.tv, so, uh, I, I, Smith, yeah, Smith did walk a couple guys. Uh, DeVries didn't. He's a, he's a twin, though. I mean, He's in the big leagues for the Twins. He's not going to walk a guy. It doesn't matter how many jacks he gives up. No. He just gave up one. Smith gave up three. Three to the Twins. Yeah, but you know, Willingham and Morneau, that's not so bad. And then uh, Trevor Plouffe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although, now, I guess to... Uh, are Trevor Plouffe and Bernie, wait, and, and uh, whatever, St. Parmalee, they're two different guys, right? Right. Well, Plouffe, at, at least at points, has been a shortstop. I don't know that he necessarily... <laughs> Has a shortstop. I mean, he's been moved off the position, but now at Luke Hughes, he's one of the one of the. Isn't that the new triplets, Plouffe, Parmalee, and Hughes? Hugh, right, Hughes is easier, I believe, to get confused with. Well, I guess maybe both of them, but yes, with Plouffe. Um, and how's Terry Tiffy figuring this whole equation? Terry Tiffy is somewhere playing baseball. Actually, I saw him this spring. Last night at the Mallards game? No, I didn't see him there. I saw him this spring, but I actually forget with which team uh, he was playing. It couldn't have been that many. It was either the Marlins or the Mets or the Cardinals. I believe one of those three it would have been on uh, at least uh, you know in their minor leagues. Maybe the maybe it was the uh, Mar- the Marlins or the Cardinals. I think he was there. Yeah. yeah. 
That 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 that, that sounds right, Terry Terry Tiffy. But he's uh, a classic Minnesota Twins. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, no. Wait. So you mentioned, of course, the uh, the Royals before before uh, you leave. You want to talk about the uh, you had you had sent out uh, a message uh, on Twitter um, that people could ask you questions, and the majority of them. Uh, besides Tommy Bennett, uh, baseball prospectus is Tommy Bennett asking about Frege and Carnap. Is that right? Frege is how I. Frege and Carnap, who are who? Who are they? Uh, philosophers uh, from the. So, well, Frege's late 19th, early 20th century. Carnap is famously thought of as a, one of the logical positivists. Okay. Right. Vienna, associated with the Vienna Circle. Right. And, and they, you refused to, had a, uh, at the very top, uh, even before we started recording, you refused to answer that question. Well, it'd be fun, but I'm not sure, uh, not sure where we could go with that. I mean, there's interesting stuff. I'm not experts on those guys, but, uh, they're the kinds of philosophers who I would have seen as boringly analytic when I was younger, but, uh, uh as I got, a little more familiar with broader philosophical historical currents. They're actually pretty interesting, although maybe not in ways their followers would, a lot of their traditional followers would appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frege, uh, I mean, Frege is, uh, can make an argument for him being extremely important logician, obviously, because concept, uh, and the concept of conceptual notations and stuff like that. Carnap, uh, uh, Carnap's were complicated. Think, thought of, thought of as a boring logical positivist, but he actually, uh, Basically, we have it a reassess, analytic, as Anglo, what's called Anglo-American philosophy, who these guys sort of, uh, ironically, are the bigger influence on than what's called continental philosophy or, uh, European philosophy, even though they're, of course, both Europeans, uh, uh, there's actually more association with, uh, sort of continental philosophy and even the sort of existentialist thought, particularly in Carnap's case, his interaction with guys like Heidegger, because they both sort of come out of this neo-Kantian and phenomenological uh, movements of the early parts of the century. Uh, Frege, in another way, uh, it's not only a predecessor to Carnap, and in a weird way to Heidegger, uh, but also uh, because of his, he was maybe Wittgenstein's primary philosophical influence, and there the links become very interesting on the issues of uh, stuff about the foundations of mathematics, which is my specialty, but uh, the notion of the uh, grounding of logic, what it would mean for logic to be grounded, uh, uh, and things like that. And, and, and of course, uh, Frege's thoughts on that, what that would mean, the justification of, of uh, our inferential rules and things like that, and Wittgenstein's uh, rejection of that, that that was something that would need uh, that sort of grounding or justification, or that could even that we could even conceive of that. So you haven't, so you're not going to talk about Frege in Carnap. Oh. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I probably just screwed up some stuff anyway, so please send in your mockery to, to my Twitter. Is it uh, is that an example of apophysis? Is that what you just did? Um, or circumlocution? Where you say, yes. uh, I won't even mention? I'm not even <laughs> going to mention Frege, Frege and Carnap. I won't mention right. that Carnap was uh, you know, perhaps more, uh, more indebted to um, continental philosophy than he was uh, Anglo philosophy. I won't even well, say I, about Frege that... Well, it's more connected than people have thought he has been. Yeah, I, that was obnoxious. Sorry. No, I don't think it's obnoxious. That was that was performative contradiction. That's a what sort of contradiction? Performative. Oh, okay, yeah. Doing what I said I wasn't going to do. Uh, so before... But, but maybe you were, you were going to talk about something else. Sitcoms? Is that what you no, were No, the Royals. About? I was going to talk about the Royals. 
There, because you, there were a number of questions about the Royals. Um, so, uh, some of them tongue-in-cheek, probably most of them tongue-in-cheek, um, but also very much in the, the Matt Clausen uh, 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 Matt, Matt total wheelhouse, I'll say, your total wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, someone asked about, for example, Chris Getz's All-Star candidacy. Yeah, I really hope he doesn't get screwed. He's awesome. Okay, that's the. But you know, he's been hurt. He's been hurt, so you know, you know, the voters can't overlook that. Um, it's going to be hard. Know, yeah, I don't want to be the Royals guy though. What I thought was interesting is that here got the Royals and Twins, you know, and we're making fun of the Twins. You know, the, the, well, I didn't. The no, 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 no. I did not make fun of the Twins. Uh, State you know, facts. I, we is right. I like to make fun of the Twins, but they're only two and a half back of the Royals. But the funny thing is, is that what's funny is the Royals have hope. Right for the future. This is weird to talk about that. Yeah, because they, yeah, the pitching of the minors has not come along like we hoped, and Duffy's hurt, blah blah blah. But there's still hope there, right? I mean, that you know, Montgomery's still people still seem that the prospect guys still seem to like him, even though he's in his second year of being awful at AAA. And uh, Jake Odorizzi, Odorizzi has been good uh, this year, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Duffy will come back. You know, whatever. Uh, well, uh, I mean, the, uh, the also they don't have as much money committed to players, so if they're in a position. They're in a position where if at least, and, and it has started to happen, right? Mustakas, I think, is probably um, playing better now than you, than a reasonable person might have thought entering right. this season. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosmer looks good, uh, well, except Hosmer's except for finish. right, but the batted ball stuff looks to largely right. be the problem. You don't have to say it. I will. The batted yeah. problem, the batted ball stuff, looks to be the problem. Yeah, I mean, it, but, but yeah, there's hope there. They got young players. They don't have a ton of money. Now they don't have a huge budget either. But uh, you know, nothing is is holding them back other than their own inability to ever probably part ways with Jeff Rancourt. I mean, if if Will Myers can play center field, I'm thrilled. But if they're moving him, you kind of get the feeling. I mean, this sounds like you get the feeling they're moot. They're moving him around because they just can't. We can, right field is taken care of. Okay, that's one thing we don't have to worry about. Jeff Rancourt's got a 320 woba now. <laughs> we we got to find a. Where's Will going to play though? Well, it can't be right field. <laughs> right, because yeah, Jeff Rancourt is going to lock down. What's Rancourt doing this year? He's uh. He's actually been uh, non-terrible. Yeah, you have to hit. You have to hit in right field, but. He's not really. I mean. He's not good. I mean, the, the the run environment's way down. I mean, he's but he's still you know he's about a three twenty woba. He's basically doing the same thing he did last year, except with less power, which is a problem because that was really how he he did it. And his defense is overrated. Uh, but we yeah, I've talked about Frank Gore a bunch. But the Twins, they got all this money committed in their farm system. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's awful. Is that fair? I think it's not great. I mean, they have Miguel Sano. They called up Col- they called up Cole DeVries. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, I think that they're not. They're, they're experimenting with some fringe type prospects now to see if they're worth anything. Um, and you, mean, you could afford to do that if you're one of the worst teams in the league. But right, they have. They have problems. And and I mean I mean really I mean things could could change you know I mean look the the Royals are I mean sort of have hope I mean they, if they they get things I and mean, they'll. Like every team, you don't have to have luck. I mean, Willingham has worked out well. I mean, he's hit like crazy, and Maurer is, is hitting, but the problem is he's only played half his games a catcher. Right, so I, right. I actually talked about this. I mean, who's they can't trade Maurer. I mean, I, I don't. There's not going to be. They're not going to get anything. 
I don't see where he would fit on a team that would be that would also be willing to send them back good prospects. Well, I mean, they, he would need something. He'd probably need part of his contract covered or something to that effect. Right, and then 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 Morneau uh, is he is actually hitting this year, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, yeah there are yeah. there are parts but, of the but, team. But, but, well, but but not but yeah, but not great. Not for what he does, which is basically just DH at this point. But yeah, there's just nothing there to trade, basically, except Willingham, basically. And well, I guess uh, uh, is it. Span or Spawn? I can never remember. People the Denard Span, yeah, Denard Span. Span, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, hopefully, they can resist the urge to trade him for a, a reliever, <laughs> which is what they did with Wilson with with uh, Ramos. Right. Yeah. I mean, just so many bad. I mean, lots of things led up to this. I mean, can you, they gave they gave away JJ Hardy basically. You know, that was they, not now, wise. Yeah, that was. Not, it turns out that was not but, a great maneuver. If they had kept him and signed him, they could have traded him for something. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have. They, I just so it was. It's weird. So yeah, the Royals and Twins are both the bottom of the standings. Uh, but even though you know it's just another suck year for the Royals, and they're still doing royal things, right? Like, uh, I'm not a big believer in Johnny Giovatella as a major leaguer. That, well, and there was another question about uh, about well, Giovatella. Yeah. Yeah, but but. Obviously, they're not going to win this year. Why not play them and find out that they're still marching Betancourt out there? Almost they used to. <laughs> Here's the Royals. They used Betancourt as a defensive replacement the other night. And yet, there was another question about about that. Yeah, uh, you, someone asked you, uh, "Is uh, Tony Albuquerque?" He asked you, Clausen, "Is Uni the best defensive replacement or the best ever defensive replacement?" Uh, I don't know. I think we'll never be able to. Uh, I'm not sure even Uni can uh, uh, outdo uh, Jim Tracy or Clint Hurdle, who used uh, Brad Hopps' defensive replacement in the playoffs a few years back. <laughs> I'm not sure even Uni can out can outdo that, but yeah. he's right up there. Um, but so those are those are royal things. But but it's actually funny to it. I I didn't mean to do this, but to bring up the Rockies and considering that's how I see is the, the hopeful side of uh, the Royals. That uh, the side of the upside for the date more Royals is the Rockies. You have a good core, but there's always going to be some baffling moves. You know you can't the team. I mean look at of course blah blah blah. We're just bloggers. We don't have all the inside information, so on and so forth. We're fans too. This is how everyone talks about stuff. Same thing about politics. I mean. Don't vote because you're not. You've never been a politician. Whatever. Um, Do people say sorry. that? No, no, that's <laughs> funny. They, they never, say, they never, they never say that. But apparently, you're free to say that about sports. Um, if you, uh, that 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 you know, the Rockies will have a you know a good core, but they'll always just do these these things, uh, weird signings and, and trades and scapegoating their own players, and never quite get the most. <laughs> it seems to me. Other players, and that, I think that's sort of. The, but the, the Rockies still manage to win every once in a while. They're not in the AL East, uh, and so they they manage to do it. And that that could happen with the Royals. But the Twins, I mean, I don't know. I guess this is sort of the future of the Brewers too, right? After after if if, Zink, yeah. if Grinky and if Grinky and Mark and both leave. Well, that's yeah. With regard to the Twins, the major issue at this point. Uh, I mean, you you know, you can get wins from anywhere, but their 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 pitching staff is pretty miserable. Their pitching staff has been replacement level at this yeah. point, and uh, that's a problem, you know. Um, but they don't have any great trade ships, and they have nothing. In, they have nothing on the farm. So it's, I don't mean this year. Mm-hmm. They're, everyone, yeah, duh, they're bad this year. But it's not like help's coming. 
it is unlikely. Although they do have, um, I believe they they do have the most. Uh, th- their draft allocation uh, was the highest of any teams, I believe, right. for the right. present so, draft. I mean, it will come, so it might take a while, assuming they they draft well. I mean, I don't know. They uh, it seems like Dave Cooper. <laughs> I mean, like Dave Cooper would. It seems like he should be a Twins pitcher. The name, the athleticism, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of a 1920s white guy. That's the Twins should just get in the time machine, go back to the 20s. They'd be full of their kinds of pitchers. Yeah. Well, uh, it should be said that Francisco Liriano actually had a, uh, his most uh, recent start um, coming back either from the DL or the minor leagues was actually quite good. Um, yeah, I missed that. I think good he had uh, you know. Nine strikeouts, something like that. Yeah. Um, which is something because I don't know if you remember, he was excellent in spring training. Uh, he was one of the no, most I, dominant pitchers in spring training, and I remember. there are reasons to think that spring training performances, for pitchers at least, and I don't necessarily mean in terms of ERA, but if you look at the components, you know, because strikeouts, strikeouts are usually strikeouts. You know, uh, yeah, they become reliable pretty quickly, and he was striking. A lot of people out of uh, in, in spring training, you know. Um, I mean, relative to to other pitchers, so that's usually a pretty good sign. But he did not appear to have that stuff um, when the actual regular season began. So but he's still walking guys like crazy. Uh, yeah, well, it's a problem. Yeah, if you can't strike people out, usually. I mean, you know, they're all. I guess they're all related. All those skills. Uh, so if it's a question of command. And, you know, command at some level is part of the reason that you're striking guys out. Uh, lack of command, obviously, would, you know, might transfer. It may be for some pitchers more than others, but because um, for him, for him, the problem usually is not a question of stuff, right? It's yeah. A, it's a question of, of placing it. And so if he loses that, then... then those strikeouts turn into walks. It's a it's a similar. But he's never really had he's never really had problems with big strikeout numbers though. I guess he hasn't. You're right. Yeah, he hasn't. Uh, right. But I mean, to be fair, I think the start you're talking about, Carson, um, this discount is not spring training. I mean, it wasn't May 30, but it was also against Oakland. Which which start was? <laughs> the I think the start you're thinking of where he struck out nine. Oh, is that is that the two. one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. it was. Well, yeah, yeah, well, we you're right. I don't, I, I don't have the game log right up here, so I don't know how many of those, uh, those, those encounters were against uh, whoever, uh, Keela. Josh Donaldson. Yeah, <laughs> Josh, Josh, you're right. Josh you're right. No, you're right. Well, they, it, it's like, uh, well, no, uh, you know, it was uh, the the issue was raised, um, you know, somewhat with tongue in cheek, although not entirely, after Philip Humber threw his perfect game. Uh, you know, the issue was raised that it was against the uh, the Mariners. And, of course, who put, who, they just put 21 up on Texas. Yeah, no, no, this is, no but th- no, that's that's more recent than the Philip Humber. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but the point is, the point at the time, and still a little bit, I mean, they have been hitting a plate. Um, yeah. But before that, right, um, right. you know, you uh, if uh, a perfect game against the Mariners that is maybe like giving up two and a half runs to the Rangers on a you know on an yeah. average day. Yeah, sorry, I, I I jumped topics there. The Mariners, I mean, isn't that has to be to me that beats the perfect Humber's perfect game, Santana's no hitter. That the Mariners score twenty one points, score twenty one runs. Yeah, they call them points in a game. Canada. That should be mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, how how do they usually score that many in a week? Well, 
Yeah, probably, but close. You're right, close. Yeah, that's just that's just stunning to me. Good uh, for them. Yeah, I think they and I think they have been. I mean, for example, I don't know if you saw the game Tuesday night. Nope, that's not the day. I mean, I mean Monday night. Uh, they played uh, the Angels. The Angels ended up actually coming back, or at least threatening later in the game. Uh, Mariners still won. I thought the Mariners scored eight runs. Uh, yeah. Which is not... Yeah, Jesus Montero hasn't been the world-changing hitter I thought he would be, but my expert scouting eye once again failed me. Yeah. Um, um, I think it'll be news when, it, news when it doesn't fail you. Right. I mean, in a sense, it's remarkably consistent. Yeah, it, it, yeah, in, in a way. I think it's only been 200 plate appearances so uh, this year. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Michael well, Saunders having a nice year. <laughs> I think uh, that signifies the end of the podcast, maybe. Right, and, that's uh, Mike, Michael Saunders. He always does signify yeah, the end. Yeah, uh, although it should be mentioned, uh, last note, though, because uh, I had said to Cameron, I said, Cameron, it seems like the uh, your Seattle Mariners are really hitting. And he said, uh, yeah, over the last week that's been the case. They actually have the second highest uh, WRC plus over the course of the last week. So there you go. Well, good for them. Yeah, yeah. They, have been, they have been hitting. Uh, yeah. You know, Next time we'll talk about jazz. The entire time. Really, yeah, I don't know why. Really I, 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 I assumed, assumed you were joking about that. Do you know? Do you really know anything about jazz? Well, I'm not an expert. I know a little bit about it. Okay. I like it. You like it? I think. I, th- I think. I yeah, I like jazz. I have uh, numerous jazz albums, and I mean, any like all right. about it. Well, we'll do a tutorial maybe. Know, but, but no, but no one else does so. I think it's, yeah, that's that's the problem with our society today. Oh yeah, that's society, huh? <laughs> Maybe it's just society. Yeah, it right? might just be society. It might be you. It might be the thing that you have serious yeah. problems. Uh, all right. Well, I guess uh, you should probably get off the podcast. I will invite you, Clausen, to uh, um, uh, a little bit of adult conversation um, following the recording. But for the meantime, um, thanks for joining us. This is going to be called. This is going to be called a full hour of Matt Clausen. Yeah, that's bizarre. I did not think that would happen. Well, I know that I knew it would happen because um, in most of the podcast episodes, uh, podcast episodes are about a half hour, and you take approximately twice as long to say uh, to say things uh, than most other people. So I, f- I assumed that that would be the case. Maybe it'll be a two-parter. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I will also say that uh, we talked about it at the beginning, but you know, you have been, especially towards the end of the podcast, breathing a little bit heavy. But I just assumed it was because. Oh. It, the, the conversation was arousing. <laughs> well, that was uncomfortable. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's let's end it then. That has been. Uh, but th- uh, yeah, thanks, Clausen, for for uh, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. All right. That's Matt Clausen. Uh, I'm Carson Destouli, and this has been, I guess, an hour plus with Fangraphs contributor Matt Clausen.